Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, I'm back. Sorry, I just had to take like a little mental health breather. I've been really busy at work. So we're going to July 14th, 1986. I've seriously covered so many crimes from the 80s and early 90s. I've thought about making a podcast just dedicated to crimes during that time period. I think I like it so much because it's really hard to track people back then. We just didn't have the same kind of technology the way we're all so connected to our cell phones and social media. People could pull off some really crazy stuff. So the woman that we're going to talk about today is a smooth criminal. I'm talking smooth like butter left on the counter, y'all. But before we get started, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning into Storytime Slayer podcast. I am your hostess, Haley Lira. I love doing this podcast. It's literally the most time-consuming hobby I think I've ever taken on, but I love it. So with that being said, leave me a five-star review. And if you haven't already, go check out my Facebook. It's called Storytime Slayer. I also have an Instagram called Story underscore Time underscore Slayer. Seriously, though, I'm like an old lady. I just love Facebook. So that's where I post all relevant photos, videos, and information pertaining to each case that I talk about. Now let's hear from my sponsors, and then we're going to jump right in. I have struggled with depression and anxiety most of my life. It has greatly affected my ability to work at times and connect with my loved ones. However, once I was connected with a licensed therapist, I felt so much better and found ways to cope with my anxiety and depression. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you too. BetterHelp has a broad range of expertise with over 20 thousand therapists in their network, giving you access to help you may not have available within your area. And it is so simple to get matched with the help you need. You just fill out a questionnaire to assess your specific needs and within 48 hours you'll be connected to a therapist. The best part is you can schedule your sessions over video chat or on the phone, whatever you're comfortable with. Plus you can exchange unlimited messages with your therapist and it's all confidential, guys. Also, if you don't like your therapist or think they're a good fit, you can request a new one at any time for no cost. So join the 2 million people taking charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash S-T-S. That's betterhelp.com slash S-T-S. Sign up using my promo code to get that 10% off your first month, and I will have that link in my show notes. Okay, let's dive back in. Now, the woman we're discussing today is named Betty. I call her Five Husband Betty because her last name kept changing. Rather than start at the beginning of Betty's story, we're going to kind of work backwards and unravel her sordid past the way everybody else found out about it. So it was July of 1986 in Norwood, North Carolina, when Betty, who was 55, and married to a man named Harold Gentry, who was 62. The couple had been married for 18 years. So on Monday, July 14th, Betty and Harold's neighbor got a phone call asking if he would go next door to check on Betty and Harold. Apparently, nobody had made contact with the couple in the last 24 hours, which 
wasn't too alarming, but it was alarming when Harold did not show up for work on Monday. That was extremely out of the ordinary for Harold. He never missed work. Okay, side note, I hear this all the time in true crime coverage, right? When so-and-so didn't show up for work, somebody called for a welfare check. I do not have that work ethic. Like, I don't think anybody would notice if I didn't show up to work at least for a day or two or be concerned anyway. Nobody even notices when I'm late or is concerned. So... The neighbors who went to go check on Betty and Harold were known as the LeHue family. And they were like, yes, of course. They actually had been called by, I think, one of Harold's relatives, like his brother. And so the LeHues go next door to check on Harold and Betty. And they note that Betty's truck was gone. And it had been gone since the day before. So just to paint a picture for you, this is a small rural community in North Carolina. Okay, this is like a doors unlocked kind of town. So when the LaHues went to the Gentry's home, they found that the sliding glass door had been unlocked, and that's how they entered the home. And upon entering the home, they immediately see Harold laying face down, holding his chest near the sliding glass door. He was visibly deceased and still had his tobacco pipe in his mouth with a significant amount of blood on and around him. It appeared he'd been shot several times, at least once in the chest and then three to four times in the back. He was actually shot six times. According to the investigators, it looked like Harold had been ambushed. And the bullet trajectory indicated that the shooter was actually in a lower position than Harold. Like maybe the intruder was crouching and hiding in the room so that they could shoot Harold when he walked in unexpectedly. However, the Gentry home was also ransacked. Cabinets were open, drawers are pulled out, furniture's overturned. There's no sign of forced entry, but remember, this is the kind of town where a lot of people didn't lock their doors. So another theory police had was that maybe Harold interrupted a robbery and was shot that way. Of course, Betty is nowhere to be found, though. Like I said, her vehicle had been gone since Saturday, according to the neighbor, and it's clearly important to locate Betty, like for one, to ensure her safety, that she has not been kidnapped or murdered as well. And if that's not the case, police need to inform her her husband is deceased and see what information she has or if she was involved. All police really know is that Betty had left between 3 and 4 o'clock on Saturday in her truck and she had not been spotted since. So while they look for Betty, they decide to canvas the neighborhood. The LeHue family said that on Sunday, which is the day before Harold was found deceased, they'd heard some gunshots. And it wasn't unusual for people to hear gunshots in this area of town. Um, A lot of people like to do target practice where they live. So the LeHues just shrugged it off. However, once they found out Harold had been murdered, they kind of took a second thought and they realized, you know what? The timing of the gunshots was a little bit weird because it was really dark and they realized they'd likely heard the gunshots of Harold being murdered. Okay, so where's Betty? It took a moment to track her down, but apparently Betty had left town to get her truck serviced. It's 1986, Betty ain't got a cell phone, and no one knows exactly where she went to get her truck fixed, but Betty was driving a dually truck, and it was quite literally the only dually truck in the entire county. So she had to find somewhere that could service this vehicle. With that information, police are able to track Betty down. She'd taken the truck to a shop that's about three hours away. 
Once authorities reach Betty and tell her something has happened to Harold, she comes straight home. Harold's brother, Al, actually meets Betty at their home, and Al is going to be a key player in seeking justice for Harold. So first off, Al did not care much for Betty, but he did say, I didn't think that she killed Harold when I heard that my brother had been murdered. However, that all changed when Al was waiting outside of his brother's home the night Harold had been found dead. And when Betty arrived on the scene, Betty wasn't shook up. She didn't seem overly upset. She just went straight up to Al and said, Al, I was in Augusta when this happened. I had nothing to do with it. Al said it was then that he started to think Betty was guilty because rather than trying to find out as much as she could and mourn Harold's death, she seemed to just be concerned with clearing her name. I don't know, though. I act really weird under pressure. Years ago, one of my children got really sick and I had to take her to the hospital. In the ER, I remember the medical staff asking me questions and I literally begin to chuckle I don't know. I don't know. And I was laughing and my husband looked at me and was like, are you seriously giggling right now? I mean, I literally looked like Casey Anthony in there, but I couldn't help it. So my point being, sometimes humans do weird things. So who are Betty and Harold? Harold was one of eight children and he'd been born and raised in Norwood, North Carolina in 1938. He'd grown up very poor and he graduated high school and decided to join the army because the town of Norwood was very, very small and it just didn't have a lot to offer. There was some mechanic shops and a mill. So quite literally, the options were work at the mill, become a mechanic, go to the military or move away. So he chose the military. In 1967, Harold was stationed in Key West, Florida. He was 29 at the time, and that's where he met his sweetie, 36-year-old Betty. At this time, her name was Betty Sills. She was a single mother and a widow whose husband and father of her child had died. The couple met when Harold went to get a haircut from Betty because Betty was a hairdresser at the time, and the two just hit it off. Harold had this like little nick on his left ear, I think. I think it was his left ear. But he had this little nick on his ear and he'd always joke around, she cut my ear off. Betty also had been born and raised in a really poor family. Reports are conflicting, but she was born in Ohio in 1931. I do know that. And that is where she went to school and met her first husband, Clarence, whom she'd married right out of high school when she graduated from South Point High in 1949. However, this marriage falls apart, which I will touch base on later. Um, It wasn't until after high school that her divorce in 1952 happened. And that was around the time that her grandpa wanted to move the whole family to Florida. So supposedly that's how Betty went from Ohio to Key West, Florida, where she met Harold years later. Betty is described as beautiful, witty, charming, and sassy. She was always dressed to the nines. She wore her hair really big and done up, always had her makeup done, and wore beautiful jewelry. And I kind of like this about her the best. Despite how well she looked and how nicely she dressed, the woman had the mouth of a sailor, which I absolutely love. So Betty and Harold met in 1967, and then they married in 1968 and had a daughter together that December. 
Harold was still in the army, so the family traveled a lot, and they ultimately spent a lot of time living in Europe during Harold's army career, which, by the way, his army career lasted over 20 years. When he was ready to retire from the army in 1976, Harold brought the family to his hometown of Norwood, North Carolina. The land that they lived on was given to him by his sister, and so he and Betty actually built a brand new home on this land. The Norwood community was really happy to welcome Harold back. Rather than stay home, Harold opted to work a day job for a little extra spending money. He worked at a chemical company. Harold is said to have been a really great guy. He was a really hard worker, and he was most known for two things— One, he was always willing to lend someone a hand, and two, he always had a tobacco pipe in his mouth or hand. The Gentries are said to have been the perfect neighbors. They were family-oriented, happy to help anyone with anything, and just overall good people. So everything we know about Betty and Harold makes it so mind-boggling as to who would want to murder Harold. He had been murdered Sunday night and discovered Monday evening, all while Betty was getting her truck serviced. Her alibi was corroborated by the mechanic shop, so she was pretty much ruled out quickly. So this made the police's main theory robbery. Apparently, Harold was known to have valuable antiques and had a particularly expensive collection of clocks. I'm talking granddaddy clocks, cuckoo clocks, mantle clocks that sort of thing. I imagine dealing in antiques, he had other items of value. I think this was well known in the community. However, I just want to say I've never heard of someone being murdered for a clock collection. People asked Betty if she knows who would want to kill Harold and she said yes, but she doesn't know exactly who the perpetrators are. According to Betty, there were four men in a yellow Mercedes that kept pulling in and out of her and Harold's driveway to intimidate them. She thought that they were threatening to burglarize the home and could have been the men who killed Harold. This is a really good lead for police because, hello, a yellow Mustang in rural North Carolina, like that's going to stick out like a sore thumb. So police pair up with neighboring departments and put out a BOLO, which is be on the lookout for this yellow Mercedes that had four men driving around. However, no one could find or had seen a yellow Mercedes. So police looked further into Betty's alibi, but it was strong, you guys. She had a receipt from the mechanic shop. The police verified her being there. They spoke to the mechanic shop. She was ruled out. So unfortunately, Harold's case eventually goes cold. The Norwood community did make a real effort to solve the case. Um, The governor even posted a reward. No one, though, worked harder than Harold's brother, Al. For 20 years, Al fought to get his brother's murder case attention and reopened. And he would literally go to the police station multiple times a month for 20 years trying to solve his brother's murder. Officers said that Al even had his own coffee mug on like the coffee mug tree because he showed up there so damn much. And thank goodness for Al because in 2006, he actually had some luck. A man named Rick Burris was running for sheriff, and during his election, Al went up to Rick, and he said, hey, Rick, if you get elected, will you reopen my brother Harold's murder case? And Rick said yes. And guess what? Rick Burris got elected, and he did just like he said he would. He reopened Harold's murder case. 
I do want to emphasize, had Al not pushed and pushed for this case to be reopened for 20 years, it would still be a cold case. And what Betty has in her past would not have been found out. So good job, Al. After 22 years, Harold's case gets a second look and immediately investigators look through the crime scene photos and they think that this was a staged home invasion only because the home was excessively ransacked, but no items of significant value really seemed to be missing, only really petty insignificant things. Remember, in 1986, they didn't have the technology that they had in 2006. So the first thing the police did in 2006 was run Harold and Betty through multiple databases. What they were trying to do is see if like maybe the couple had any legal issues with anyone or anything suspicious that would drudge up any suspects or people who wanted to harm Harold. And guess what? They got something that appeared to be what they thought was a clerical error, because when they ran Betty through the database, it looked like she had a total of five deceased husbands. And the police were like, okay, this has to be a mistake. These five dead men must have some other familiar connection to Betty. Like maybe they were relatives that were wrongly marked as her spouse, like uncles, cousins, brothers. But no, Over a 52-year span, Betty had five husbands die. Harold Gentry wasn't even the last husband that died, okay? He was the fourth of five men. So, obviously, police are suspicious, and they need to go speak to Betty. The last known residency of Betty's was in Georgia. So, police pay her a visit, and she's in the backyard gardening when they came in to question her. Betty was so sweet and tender in her demeanor, it was actually hard for police to wrap their mind around the fact that this super sweet old lady had been killing her husbands. They tell her that they're going to reopen Harold's case and want to know if she had any new information to contribute to the investigation. Police also noted to Betty how odd it was that she'd lost five husbands. Investigators said that when they brought up the death of all five of her husbands, Betty's demeanor seemed to turn a little bit cold when she began discussing her husbands. Betty said her first husband, Clarence, died in a robbery. Her second husband, James Flynn, died in a horrible accident. Apparently, he froze to death when he fell asleep in his semi-truck during winter in New York, parked at a dock. Her third husband was a Navy SEAL named Richard, who went by the nickname Dick, and apparently he'd committed suicide by shooting himself through his side, like, you know, the side of his body by his rib cages, twice. Her next husband was Harold, who we know died in apparent robbery, and she remarried one more time after Harold to a man named John Newmar in 1991, and in 2007, he died of sepsis and natural causes. Other than it being seemingly impossible for anyone to have this much bad luck, Betty's stories did seem to be pretty airtight. She was able to answer all police questions logically, and she exhibited no suspicious behavior when they spoke to her, other than being emotionless. So next, police look for anything suspicious in the other four men's deaths. So like I said, her first husband's Clarence Malone, who Betty was married to from 1950 to 1952, he was her high school sweetheart, 
He became a mechanic and together they had a son, but they didn't stay married long because Betty filed a domestic abuse report against Clarence. And from what I understand, it mentions molestation. Now, I don't know if she meant in reference to her child or if it was like a sexual assault on her that had been strangely worded. But regardless, they got divorced and Clarence did in fact die in a robbery in 1970, which is years years after he and Betty had separated and divorced for good. Some people think that Betty had no real reason to kill, but I mean, they did have a kid together and maybe she didn't want to deal with him. I've heard of people killing for less, but because it happened so long after the fact and she'd even been remarried, I just, I just don't know if she has anything to do with that one. The rest, though, I'm thinking this bitch is guilty. Okay, so Betty's second husband was named James Flynn. His case was really, really hard to investigate, though, because James met Betty shortly after Betty's divorce to Clarence. The couple had a daughter together named Peggy. And here's the thing. Reports about James' death are very conflicting because in one report, it said that he was shot to death. But then in another report, and according to Betty, James was asleep in a truck on a pier in New York when he was supposedly froze to death in his sleep. I don't know. Their daughter, Peggy, doesn't remember James very well because she was really little when she died. But Peggy genuinely believes her mother is innocent and had just, quote, been dealt a bad card in life end quote the police did find a death certificate for James but they couldn't turn up much more information about his death and just like with Clarence James and Betty had actually been separated at the time of his death and there was no evidence to link her directly to his death either by the way I don't know exactly when Betty married James but it had to have been relatively soon after her divorce from Clarence because James died in 1954. So we just jumped from one had a kid to the next had a kid. Next, police investigate the death of her third husband, Richard Sills. Richard went by the nickname Dick, which is pretty common for that time period. The two met sometime in the 60s. Now, he was a Navy man who'd been previously married and had an eight-year-old son. According to reports, in July of 1969, Dick had shot himself. Reports were very, very scarce because since his death was ruled a suicide, after a certain amount of time, most things pertaining to cases like that are thrown out. But supposedly the day Dick killed himself, he and Betty had spent a lot of time drinking at the bar and they went home and they'd been arguing a lot before Dick shot himself. Betty called 911 and reported his suicide. And when the police came and investigated, they pretty much just took Betty's word about what happened and there was no true investigation. Betty's daughter Peggy was actually home and remembered hearing her mom and Dick arguing and then the gun going off. She was 11 at the time and said Dick was a very heavy drinker. So, like I said, the police didn't really investigate the death because the Navy military police took over and they didn't investigate it much at all. Um, The NCIS, which was the military police, they didn't even do an autopsy, just a medical examination and then ruled it a suicide. So fast forward to 2008, police did find the old medical report and it stated Dick had been shot two times 
one time through the heart and one time through the liver. And this stood out to police for a couple reasons. For one, statistically, most men shoot themselves through their mouths or their temple. And Dick shot himself in his side, which is kind of weird. And then secondly, he shot himself twice. Now, I didn't know this, but apparently when someone attempts to shoot themselves and they don't die from the initial gunshot wound, it's typically their body's response to drop the weapon rather than shoot themselves a second time. Plus, the gunshot wounds were through Dick's side. Like, more likely he was asleep and Betty came up and shot him in the side. To me, that seems a lot more plausible. Regardless, Dick died July of 1969. We already covered husband number four, Harold. And as for Betty's last husband, John Newmar, police start looking into that one and it proves to be the most suspicious. See, Betty and John were married for a bit of time, eight years. They got married in 1991 and he ultimately died in 2007. Police paid John's kids a visit and John's children so that they found their father's death to be extremely suspicious. Like for one, the children did not even know that their dad died through Betty. They found out reading the newspaper. And then for two, the children said once they found out and confronted Betty, their dad had already been cremated. He was cremated almost immediately before anyone even knew he was dead or could request an autopsy to see the actual cause of death. I cannot imagine my mom like getting remarried, dying, and me finding out in the newspaper. Um, then to call the man and he's already cremated her. Seriously? I don't even read the newspaper, so I, I probably wouldn't find out that way. But still, that's so weird. The weird thing about Betty and these mysterious deaths is she seemed to have absolutely no motive other than developing issues in the marriage. Rather than divorce, she typically turned to murder. So when conflict arose, she would just want them out of the way and dead, which is so weird to me. A lot of her marital conflicts revolved around money because she was a money-spending motherfucker, and she would barely keep from having to file bankruptcy. But she didn't like take out large insurance policies on these men or make a great deal of revenue off of them dying. She just like got them out of her hair, I guess. It wasn't until police investigations between the years of 2006 and 2008 that police were even aware that there was issues between Harold and Betty. Apparently, Betty spending money until the point of the gentries being nearly bankrupt caused a great tension between the couple, and they actually separated before Harold's murder. Harold even moved into a travel trailer in the backyard of the home that he and Betty built together and would only go into the main house to eat shower and use the restroom. The rest of his time was spent in his travel trailer in the backyard. Harold even had a girlfriend back in Florida that he'd go visit from time to time. So Harold and Betty were heading for divorce when he died. As suspicious as everything is, nothing proved though beyond a reasonable doubt that Betty was a killer. So police take a deeper dive and they find an old old interview in Harold's murder files. It was an interview that had been conducted with a man named Alan Lawrence in 1986. So at the time, Alan had owned a swimming pool and hot tub store. And in an interview with police in 1986, he came forward and said that weeks before Harold died, Betty actually asked him to kill 
Harold. And for whatever reason, the police took this interview in 1986 and didn't do shit with it. So now in 2008, police start thinking that Betty must have hired someone else to kill Harold. Like if she tried to hire Alan and he said no, what would stop her from trying to find somebody else? So they look through Betty's old financial records and they see that weeks leading up to Harold's murder, Betty was actually gathering hefty sums of cash from people who just owed her money. And so, yeah, she just like went around town and collected from all her debtors right before Harold was murdered. Hmm, probably getting that murder money. So police have reason to believe that she hired someone to kill Harold, gathered up a hefty sum of cash close to Harold's death, but they had no way of knowing who she hired. Using undercover officers, they actually tried to get Betty to crack on who she hired, and she wouldn't. The old sweet lady wouldn't crack. So in an effort to get Betty for Harold's murder, they took Alan's 1986 police statements and they actually arrested Betty for solicitation of murder. Now, they couldn't do murder for hire because Alan turned Betty's offer down. And when police came to arrest Betty in 2008, she was shocked, you guys. She was so shocked. She literally was like, I can't go to jail. I need my metal comb and blue shampoo. She told police, quote, I'm not ready to go to jail, end quote. Nobody's ready to go to jail, Betty. Nobody's ready to go to jail. So they arrest her anyway, and she gets the name Black Widow Granny. Betty was not cooperative, but it didn't matter because police were able to conduct in search of her home, and they had found what they thought to be evidence in Betty's shed of her killing her latest husband, John. See, what they found was chemicals containing really heavy metals, and police theorized those could have been the chemicals used to poison John. <sighs> Seems a little loosey-goosey because aren't you supposed to store chemicals like that in your shed? Like, don't you have to store these chemicals somewhere in your house, like, and to think someone's going to accuse you of murder because you have them in an appropriate location? I don't know. Regardless, though, they send John's cremated remains to a testing center and hope that they're going to find traces of metal matching the chemicals in Betty's shed to show, yeah, she did poison him. Now, on August 8, 2008, the lab did confirm John's remains did have really heavy metals in like, you know, in the ashes since he was cremated, but they couldn't like confirm how much or what it was from. So it was rather inconclusive. Betty was given a bail bond of $500,000 in October of 2008. She made bond and she was released and she just completely disappeared. Um, they could not find her for several weeks, but she was eventually found hiding at one of her daughter's homes in Louisiana. Police keep working the case and in the months leading up to Betty's trial, she becomes really sick though. Very, very sick. So she goes to the doctor and they find out that her entire body is riddled with cancer. She was too sick to ever make it to trial. June 12th of 2011, Betty ultimately died in a Louisiana hospital from her cancer. Betty and Harold's daughter said Betty maintained on her deathbed down to her last breath that she did not kill any of her husbands and she was going to go be with Harold and John quote, the two loves of her life, end quote. Then she closed her eyes and died. 
This means Betty was never ultimately charged with any of the murders. It is so bizarre for people who knew Betty before her sordid past was uncovered to ever fathom that she was a black widow. She just seemed too darn sweet. Honestly, I don't think she had anything to do with her first husband's murder, only because it was well over a decade since they divorced, and she'd already been married two times since. I do personally think that she killed the other four. I'm really curious to know what you think, though, so definitely come and find me, Storytime Slayer on Facebook, and let me know your opinion. I like this crime because the woman was a repeat offender and had not been caught if it wasn't for Harold's brother fighting 22 years for his brother's murder to be solved. That's all it takes, though, is someone to advocate and not forget about the death of their loved ones. Just a word of advice, if you're going to try and murder everyone you marry, don't get married. But I mean, if you do, at least try to make more than just some petty cash. This is ridiculous. Betty got no money from the death of her first three husbands. She received 50000 from the death of Harold. And I don't think that she really received anything major from the death of her last husband either. Maybe she assumed all of their assets. I'm not sure. But Anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning into Storytime Slayer. I love doing this podcast, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.